right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's down to seven seconds. It's the truth for the win. God, oh! they did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double water. Hit that one from the parking lot. Shock it all in college basketball. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. What's up, Degeneration? Welcome to Big Bets on Campus. I'm Stucky, and joining me today is my new college basketball co-host, PJ Cunningham. We're going to talk college basketball for this weekend, including Friday and Saturday. We'll talk some season-long futures, a lot of new segments to get to. PJ, what's going on? Not much, Stucky. I know a lot of uh, listeners, loyal listeners to the Big Bets on Campus podcast are probably expecting Colin Wilson and his beautiful velvety voice, but you guys, I guess, are stuck with me for this college basketball season. Hopefully, I can provide you know some of the analysis that Colin has in the past. But hopefully, we can help make you guys some money uh, from now until March. Woo, pig suey! Colin's a one-trick pony, anyway. He knows Arkansas <laughs> basketball, and uh, and that's it. But we, Colin will probably be stopping. We'll have some guests throughout the year. We'll cover certain conferences. We'll cover futures, of course, almost on a weekly basis. Three Man Weave, who do our Wednesday weekly episode, will continue to do so. We'll have them on every Friday, or when we record on Thursday, comes out on Friday, as part of our Friday night six-pack, just like we did last year, if some of you remember that. This week, we'll just give you what they had for Friday night. They didn't have a chance to record, but that we will be back to status quo next week. PJ, for those of you that aren't familiar with yourself, why don't you give a quick uh, background on you and then where you're from and and most importantly, who your, who your team is in college of basketball. I am born and raised and still live in the great state of Iowa. So a uh, diehard Hawkeye fan, football, basketball, everything. Little background. I, I started with the action network right around uh, the middle of 2020 when sports started coming back. I work on a couple, you know, a couple different sports here. You know, I do a soccer podcast for us here at the action network as well. Uh, but, you know, I'm really excited to be on with you with uh, a legend like yourself here, Stucky. Oh, you're too kind. Um, <laughs> I, so speaking of Iowa basketball, it's it's very bizarre that it, it, I wonder it's, it's I wonder if it's frustrating or you're just used to it. You have Iowa football. It's like great <laughs> yep. defense, subpar offense, and then basketball. Once again, it looks like we have a classic Fran team. We have mm-hmm. great offense and you know not so great defense. That's that's unfortunate, but that's the reality of the situation. I'll be able to handle this. Mary looks like he's, I mean, he's a hell of a player. Uh, Mm -hmm. Is it this the same old Iowa? What is the ceiling? Are you really excited about them? Are you still trying to get over last year's disappointment? (laughs) Where do you stand with them? Yeah, last year was supposed to be, you know, basically the best team in my lifetime in Iowa, and they couldn't even get to the Sweet 16s at two seats. That was really disappointing. But, no, this team is really fun to watch. They're they're young. Obviously, Keegan Murray is an incredible scorer. I don't know if he's still – leading the country in points per game, but it's an Iowa team that they can press you. They play quick. They play tempo. Obviously their defense is not that good. I'll be happy with a sweet 16 berth, but other than that, you know, like you said, it's just another classic Fran team where we'll pull off some upsets at home. We'll, you know, we'll get close against some of the big, the big boys on the road and everything like that and not be able to pull it out. But again, probably sweet 16 is, is the ceiling for this team. 
Yeah, it's uh, to no surprise, Iowa has been uh, a cash cow to over better so far mm-hmm. this year. Before we get to kind of a recap of what we've seen, some of the key things we've seen this weekend for the season, quick one minute thought on the Big Ten. The biggest thing that I've taken away is just there are some incredible individual players in the conference mm-hmm. that who I thought were good, but are so much better than I even thought, like Liddell. Johnny Davis, Murray. I mean, like, so you, on a on a nightly basis, you can catch some unbelievable individual performances. Wisconsin has probably been the biggest positive surprise to me, uh, mainly just because of the explosion of Johnny Davis. This kid wasn't. I think he was like a. It wasn't like he was like a highly touted recruit. I mean, this is mm-hmm. what he's doing is, is spectacular. And then the biggest disappointment has to be Michigan, um, and. Uh, just their defense has fallen off a cliff. They just look lost. I mean, obviously Wagner and company, some of the players that they lost were much more important than I personally thought, because I didn't, I thought Michigan was going to take a step back, but not this much of a step back. Uh, any, uh, any, any, any thoughts you want to add for the big 10 at whole? Well, you know, obviously Johnny Davis, I think he's the favorite now uh, to win the wooden award, which is kind of yeah, crazy to think shocking. about. I don't know what he was preseason, but you know, it obviously, like you mentioned, it, Michigan has been a massive disappointment, especially defensively in the half court. They look lo- like you said, they look lost. I just, you know, in my it's grained in my mind is when they went to UCF and just got, you know, pasted by them in Orlando. That was really telling. The team that's kind of starting to come on is Illinois. You know, they're the favorite to to win the Big Ten right now. I think they're sitting about three to one. I don't think, you know, they're obviously not really one of the favorites, but sitting around, you know, 20 to one to begin the season. And now they've actually dropped lower, even though they're, you know, five and zero to start, they have Michigan on Friday and then a huge game against Purdue on Monday. Coburn looks great. You know, they've had, they've dealt with some injuries early on in the season. Uh, Kirk Bellow has been out since November 23rd. When he comes back, you know, the, the, they're an incredible three point shooting team. I think they're 15th in the country in three point percentage with Coburn getting all the attention down low. Illinois is able to knock down a ton of threes they're around, you know, nine and a half, 10 a game. So if they, have a good run here uh, down the stretch. They could potentially be a one or two seed, just like they were last year. And we all thought they were one of the best teams in the country and then lost to Loyola Chicago in the second round. So this team could, you know, kind of flip expectations and be kind of under the radar going into March and maybe make a deep run rather than just being, you know, expectations through the roof. So they're a team I'm kind of watching. And I think that, you know, come March, we might be being like, you know, like, you know, Illinois, you know, they could definitely make a run again. I'm still mad at Illinois for last year. That was my <laughs> big future. And now I'm watching, I like turn on sports center. It's like highlights of the bulls and IO like playing so mm-hmm. well. And I'm like, well, the, the, you were, the, you were there. We had the team last year, Michigan state is, is, is sitting at five and zero. I'm still not a full believer in Michigan state, but you know, Izzo will have them in the mix. I mean, Illinois just lights out, lights out from beyond the arc. That team can shoot. Be interested to see what happens when Corbello comes back, right? He just wasn't great early in the year, turnover issues. There just seemed to be something missing chemistry-wise when he's in the lineup. Obviously having him back it up, I think he'd bring him off the bench as a spark, Like, but it'll be interesting to see how the lineup dynamic when he comes back. I think he was just cleared to practice today. You have Ohio State, obviously, with Liddell. They can get some key pieces back over time. They're going to be dangerous. Uh, Wisconsin with Davis and their defense, their defensive numbers – are elite. And then you had, you know, you have Davis who can explode on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, they're clearly dangerous. I don't trust the Indiana guards or the Rutgers offense. Purdue 
is a team that I still have power rated, I believe. Yeah, I still have Purdue power rated as the best team in the Big Ten, but I have questions. Coming into the year, I was like, this team is elite. This team is a top five team, no doubt. Now this year, we, and we can we can kind of transition this into bigger takeaways from this week in this season. This year, like last year, it was okay. Baylor and Gonzaga, and then a big drop off, and that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be your national title, but it worked out that way. And there was two clear, there was two teams that were clearly above the rest. This year, it's not like that. Gonzaga is not as great. They're still a top five team. Baylor is not as great, I don't think. The gap is smaller, and the amount of teams that I think potentially can win the national title is larger. Um, But Purdue was, for me, solid in that top five. But I've now have questions about some questions about their defense and their turnover issues. You've seen teams, I believe Iowa, when Iowa was behind against them and started to press them. Mm -hmm and then almost came back because they started turning it over. So I do have questions about Purdue. So let's go into futures right now before we get to takeaways from here. Here's the thing about the future. Every time you look at it, it changes because you looked at it. Do you have any futures right now? If so, who? And then are there any teams that you would target uh, if anyone is out there looking to add to their portfolio? Yeah, I just bought a team this week. I bought Villanova at 25 to 1. What I wanted to do was kind of look, go back and look, okay, well, what's the DNA of a national championship? What are some trends, you know, looking at Ken Palm data, you know, what, what has happened or what has allowed, you know, somebody to be a national champion. So since 2002, Ken Palm, when they first started tracking data, they, there has been only three teams in 19 years that have won the national championship and finished outside the top 10 in adjusted offensive efficiency. And I'm going to ask you a trivia question right now. Can you name the three? And I'll give you a hint. One team did it twice in the early 2010s. So you're saying adjusted offensive efficiency outs, um, like outside before, the top 10 over, overall or before the tournament? Overall to end the tournament. Uh, just a, a word of advice something you look when you look at, you can go on Ken Palm, you can always filter to before the tournament. Because what happens is if you win it, like you're going to have six games, we obviously played really well. Mm-hmm. So another way to look at it is like, all right, who were the teams before the tournament? But uh, I would say, it had one of them has to be one of them has to be UConn. Yeah, they, they actually did it twice in both of their championships. If you look like pre-tournament teams that were if you look at their adjusted offensive efficiency and adjusted defensive efficiency, one other rule of thumb is you basically cannot be if you add both together, you basically cannot be over 50. Right. So if your mm-hmm. defensive efficiency was 52 and your offensive efficiency was two, right? That's like there's a there's a red flag there on your defense Mm -hmm. or if like your offense and defense are like 30 and 28 it's like all right well neither one is elite enough right but it's very general and broad but uh uconn is i think the only exception to that 50 rule they were at like 55 Mm -hmm. uh i think that was the team where kemba just went got in and and just went bonkers right yeah it was kemba and uh shabazz in 2014 so basically it was just they had one dominant score that they just rode through the championship the third team so i I would say it's probably it's probably mellow cuse Absolutely. Yep. Mellow Q's in uh, 2003, you know, basically just a team with uh, an incredibly dominant score that they just ride through the entire tournament. It's kind of an anomaly. Basically what I'm saying is that, you know, teams that are very low in offensive efficiency that, you know, get hot through March, they have to have an incredibly dominant score that just get, goes crazy. You know, Villanova right now is, is top 20 in both adjusted offensive and defensive efficiency. And I understand that they have flaws like they're, 
they're obviously have, you know, they don't have a lot of size inside. They haven't shot the three ball as well as they should have. It's, this is more purely of like a numbers play Villanova's schedule going forward. They've already played Xavier twice. They've played a really, really tough non-conference schedule. I think that they are number one uh, on Ken Palm in uh, their opponent adjusted offensive efficiency. So they basically played, you know, cumulatively with the best offenses in the country so far. Yep. Toughest opponents, they have two games against UConn and then a home game against Seton Hall. And that's pretty much it. And they're going to face basically teams outside the top 40 uh, in the Ken Palm rankings. So it's not crazy. Yeah, we could, like you said, we could be sitting here at the end of the season. Those two, that big, two big wins against Xavier, you know, obviously a big win against, uh, I believe, Tennessee earlier uh, in the season. Villanova could be sitting at a one seed and be sitting at, you know, 12, 10 to one by the time we reach March with how easy their schedule is going forward. So, I don't really think you're going to get a better number. I think 25 to one is available at BetMGM right now. I, I don't think you're going to get a better number on Jay Wright's squad uh, than right now. I understand they have flaws, but based on the number, I do like Villanova right now. No, I don't. I don't mind that at all. And you have, you have Jay Wright on your side. Uh, I do think it is it's the right time to buy them. They obviously have figured out something since that back to back. They lost back to back games to Baylor and Creighton. Just got blown out, and since. Mm-hmm. You know, then they easily beat Xavier. They beat Seton Hall. They come back and beat Creighton by 35 um, and then, you know, win at Xavier. I don't care. Look, I had some Xavier. I don't care if you had, a, they had a little bit of shot luck, like going to Syntox and winning at Xavier is not easy against this team. So uh, yeah, you have Jay right in your pocket um, and looking at the schedule, there's a chance that you're going to have a, a one seed. The pieces are there and especially in this year. So I, I don't mind that at all. So yeah, for my future, I have one future and one future only right now, and it's Kentucky. And I bought it before the year, and it was actually a really exciting moment for me because, and, and you can find them at twenty-two to one now, which is better than what I had. I have twenty to one and some eighteen to one. I might add some, but I've never like, like I, I live in Lexington. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm a adopted Kentucky fan. My wife went there. You know, our bar is does well when Kentucky's winning. All of our friends are Kentucky fans. But I, I bet I, I've never bet Kentucky. I, I always think Kentucky is overvalued from a futures perspective. But mm-hmm. this year, I really genuinely liked them in the Cal Revenge Tour. And I loved all of the pieces that they got. And I didn't even think that by this point, they would be as good as they were or as flashed as much potential as they have. Uh, because you, Cal's had these teams different than this in that there are a lot of times they're uh, you know all five-star freshmen that he assembles. And then you got to figure out the right rotations, the right mix of, all right, who's going to play when and how much. And then generally, if you look back, these Kentucky teams, they'll have like, a str- they'll struggle a little bit in December, remember and figure it out. And then Cal basically just working to peak towards March. And with all of the incoming transfer talent uh, mixed in with some of the younger talent, Kentucky, I thought that they had the pieces to be a clear top five team come March. You know, and you throw in a guy like Shibwe who, is going to keep you in any. He's just. A, he's going to keep you in any game if you are having an off shooting night. Yeah, you know, twenty. He can get 25, 30 rebounds. Like that is yeah. that is a cheat code. And I, I love the addition of Grady. I've liked what I've seen from Kentucky so far. They lost at LSU because everyone got hurt and went down. They should have won that game. They're up to eight already. And uh, Ken Palm. I didn't think they'd be here already. And you could still get them twenty two to one. And I love how deep and uh, I think the best conference in college basketball this year is the SEC. So Kentucky will be battle tested come March, but 
I really like that roster. As of now, that's the only future that I have in that 25 to one range. If you could find a really good number and kudos to you, if you've already had these teams from earlier in the season, the two teams that I've been most impressed with uh, are Arizona and Auburn so far this year. I mean, those, those are the two teams that have shot up my power ratings that I, that look like they are legit national title contenders without many weaknesses Obviously, Baylor and Gonzaga are going to be in the mix. Some of the Houston injuries have have hurt them. I've had some more questions about Purdue. LSU will get to. I'm not a believer in them winning at all. But yeah, Arizona, Auburn, Kentucky. Uh, but Kentucky is the only one that I've been invested in so far. Yeah, I agree with you. The SEC is going to be fascinating going forward. You know, they're like you said, there are so many, so many good teams in the SEC right now. That Auburn Alabama game was fantastic. I believe that was on uh, what was that Wednesday or Tuesday. You're just going to get games like that pretty much every single week, every single week. And we have a great one, you know, on Saturday, Tennessee, Kentucky. So, yeah, but I agree with you. Yeah, Arizona, biggest surprise. And one of those teams that definitely got to keep watching, you know, the futures market if they kind of slip up against UCLA or USC and you can get a dip and get them down to 20 to one. That's probably a good price to, to buy them at. Recap of the week that was two quick things. Don't believe. I don't believe anymore in any of the COVID news from what coaches say. I've heard these coaches, we, we, we stay, we were, we're crushed by COVID. This is a hospital room where, you know, we had medics that are, might have to administer IVs. And then like this happened with Leon Rice and Boise state last night. I thought half the team wasn't going to play. I bet Nevada applied. It came out plus one and a half. I'm like, well, how is this plus one and a half with, with Boise in a ER? Um, and then, you know, the line moves like six points and then Boise comes out completely healthy, ready to roll. And so I think a lot of these coaches are just, they say this is like kind of, it's like armor. So like, if things are going poor, it's kind of like your insurance to be like, Hey, well, we're in a COVID withdrawal and things think COVID pause things went poorly. So yeah, I, my biggest takeaway so far of this week is that like, I just can't trust the coach speaking for the season. It's, you just have to deal with it. It's awful. I'm betting fewer games and lower amounts because the variance is just so much higher. I mean, you could sit at six, six, seven o'clock at night and follow fellow friend of the podcast. Uh, Jordan Majewski is a great one to follow, Mm -hmm. but just searching Twitter and it's just, this guy's out, these three key guys are out and you can't, you don't find these things out, you know, a couple days ahead of time, like the NFL, it's a, it's the wild, wild West and Omicron does spread quickly based on other countries. They didn't get out. So hopefully this is just like a, a January thing. It's going to linger longer, but just where it's like this crazy, just higher variants. You just got to deal with it. And you hope that it evens out over time. But uh, other than that, my main takeaway is like March is going to be sick. Real realistically to me, there's like 10 to 12 teams that I could see winning it all. Lower amounts, you know, a lot of variants, you know, maybe bet less, you know, I know that sucks obviously because I hate to tell somebody to have less action, but it's just so difficult, you know, with all this, this COVID news and everything like that from this past week, you know, talking just strictly basketball, it obviously Baylor going down at home was uh, a little shocking to Texas tech who didn't have Shannon. I think overall for the season, it's kind of funny because, you know, you kind of mentioned it, you know, it seemed like at the beginning of the season, everybody in the, the talk around it was, this is Gonzaga's title to lose. They're the overwhelming favorites. You know, Timmy's back. They got Chet Holmgren, Nembhard, Rasir Bolton comes over from Iowa State. It's just a really complete team that you question, is anybody going to compete with their size and their scoring and everything like that? Well, 
Then they go to Las Vegas as an eight and a half point favorite and they lose to Duke. And then their next big test, they play Alabama and they lose by nine and shoot 50% from the free throw line. And then from there, you know, they're going to play a WCC schedule and not get tested that much. Obviously BYU and St. Mary's are good teams. In fact, you know, Gonzaga plays BYU tonight. So that'll be kind of telling to see where they're at. So then it kind of flips to, you know, Baylor's the best team in the country. They hold Villanova to 36 points. And then, you know, some question marks kind of start to come in with Baylor. They, you know, were down by nine to, to TCU. They, they didn't cover against Oklahoma. They only won by five at Iowa State. And then on Wednesday, Texas Tech takes them down. And you know, if you look at the shot quality, it was pretty much 50-50. So Texas Tech kind of deserved to win on the road as a big underdog. So like you kind of mentioned at the top, now we're kind of looking at this from at least this point on. And we're saying, man, there's no more undefeated teams. And it is not wide, wide open, but it seems like you said a little more wide open where there's 10 to 12 teams that can actually win the title. So, you know, when we're talking futures market, some of those teams sitting at, you know, 25, 30 to one, now is kind of the time to buy in on them because once we reach the tournament and those teams potentially make a run and get to a three or a four seed, I don't think they're going to be sitting at those numbers at the time we come March. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was crazy that, Look, Gonzaga, again, I, I still have them uh, as a clear, clear mm-hmm. top yep. five team, as as I do with Baylor. But it, I thought it was crazy that people, you just, look, you don't just lose Suggs and Kispert and then everything is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Baylor, with all the talent they lost, now Baylor is still so deep. Uh, I mean, they're, they, they, they're, they're, they have no, they've really no weaknesses from like one to eight. Um, that's one of the things that I like about them. Like they don't really rely on, on one guy, but these teams are not as good as they were last year, given the talent that they lost, the NBA mm-hmm. talent that they lost. Um, so I think that they took a little step back to the field, still arguably both above the field, but um, clearly not the same teams that we saw last year dominate start to finish. Um, so obviously we're not buying low on Gonzaga or Baylor. I don't think that opportunity is going to come all season, but there are other teams that we could potentially buy low and headed into the weekend. So let's uh, transition here to Saturday and beyond. So many games, so little time. Let's look at the Saturday slate. I'll start. I'm going to go with specifically for this Saturday, a spot that I have targeted and I'm going to have on actionnetwork.com action network app. I'll have my starting this Saturday on the college footballs over. I'll have my weekly favorite Saturday spots out and I'll, I'll I'll say the lines I'm targeting we'll assume okay what if the line is what Kempom projects it as but I'm going to be looking at Virginia Tech against Notre Dame Virginia Tech has lost three straight they are now 0-4 in the ACC which is the ACC has been so poor this year uh, they've lost they just lost to Virginia by two and again they didn't score in the final three minutes you know, they lost to NC State by five the game before. They lost to Duke on the road in a game that kind of just got away late before that. Um, I mean, this they lost to Xavier by one on the neutral. I mean, this is a team that's been close and is bottom 10 in, in shot quality luck. I I like some of the things that they do. And if, if you can't – one of the weaknesses is Storm Murphy, who's their point guard, runs a lot of their point guard. He's not the most athletic guy. He can be pressed and – into turnovers, but if if your Notre Dame is not going to do that, so Virginia Tech should get into their offense here. Notre Dame on the flip side, and I like Virginia Tech's offense with the Lumen Company. If you look at some of their numbers, it's a, it's a pretty damn good offense. Notre Dame on the flip side has won 
out, just out of nowhere. They've won six in a row. They beat Kentucky, lost to Indiana, and then they've won six in a row. Two who cares wins, but then you know, then they beat they beat Pitt, North Carolina, Georgia Tech, and Clemson. All of a sudden, they're four and one in the ACC. But uh, this team is like they beat Georgia Tech in overtime on the road. They beat Pitt by one on the road. This team has been completely different. They also lost to Boston College uh, on the road by 16. Different team on the road. I think this is a desperate effort from Virginia Tech. Little bit of letdown here for Notre Dame. I think it's a good opportunity to buy low on Virginia Tech. I think they end up winning this game by double digits, take out some of the, the frustrations of their season so far. This is going to seem like I'm kind of biased, but I do kind of like the spot for Texas against Iowa State. Obviously, the Longhorns lost on the road and Stillwater, you know, 69-51. The final score looks pretty bad, but Texas had so many open shots. They just couldn't make anything. If you look at shot quality, it was basically 50-50 in the postgame win expectancy. So, you know, a really big switch from losing by 18 to a pretty much 50-50 shot. Iowa State obviously has been a great story. They won two games last year. They got a new head coach from, you know, South Dakota State. They've been really good, but they're really starting to trend in the wrong direction as of late. You know, they beat Texas Tech by four. Texas Tech had seven available players on the road, and they still hung in there, and I believe had a better postgame win expectancy. And then they go on the road to Oklahoma, lose, and we're winning by double digits, and then allowed the Sooners to go on a 23-4 to run. Uh, and beat them. And then this past Tuesday, they went into Fog Allen and they played really well. And you can make a case they maybe should have deserved to win that game. But this is a tech, this is a matchup where I believe Texas has great advantages. They love to play a very pragmatic style in the half court, which is probably what this game is going to be because both these teams, you know, Texas is 354th in tempo and Iowa State is 240th. Texas went in half court offense is top 20% in college basketball in points per possession and they love to get the ball inside, and that's where Iowa State is vulnerable because the Cyclones are top 10 in three-point percentage allowed, so elite three-point defense, but that's not really what Texas likes to do. Texas is an unbelievable defensive team. They're top five in the country in points per possession allowed in man-to-man half-court defenses, and Iowa State is 139th in adjusted – or 139th in adjusted offensive efficiency, and they're well below average in half-court offense. You know, Ken Palm has Texas, I believe, at minus one, We'll see if, if by game time, if, you know, things start to trend towards Texas. But if if Texas is a pick or an underdog in the spot, I'm going to have to buy the Longhorns names. The uh, Iowa guy with one of his first yeah. picks, first looks of Saturday <laughs> is fading Iowa State. Shocker. No, but I actually agree with you here on this. Like, this is not a, a bet that I would normally make. Just the, the type of spots that look like Iowa State has lost two in a row. They're coming home. It might be a small home dog at Hilton where they have an incredible home court advantage. But I still think that Iowa State, which you have to give a ton of credit to Otzelberger, who's, who's, you know, assembled all of these, a lot of these transfers. It was a, almost a brand new roster and their defense is legit. You watch their defense. You can look at their metrics. Their defense is legit. But I think that they've risen up power ratings and in the market way too much. This is still an offense with a lot of flaws. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're seeing, they've lost three or four. That was the Baylor, Oklahoma, and Kansas. What you're seeing is kind of them crashing back down to earth. And if we do get Texas minus one, I don't think that they've crashed down back to earth enough. Texas's defense by any metric is elite. So, like, you, you want to say that both of these defenses are equal? I think Texas's defense is actually a little better. Fine. 
half court battle, two elite defenses. I'll take the Texas offense any day of the week operating in a half court because they should, they should live on the offensive glass. They should get to the line frequently as well. Iowa state aggressive defense and they, but they foul a lot and Texas is really good at the line. Iowa state turnover issues on offense that should plague them. And I believe Trey Mitchell, uh, the big, one of the big gets for Texas who didn't play two games ago, only played two minutes last time out against Oklahoma for COVID mm-hmm. protocols, Beard came out and, and just said like, look, yeah, he, he hasn't been practicing. He wasn't conditioned, right? He hasn't been practicing, but he expects him to be full go for Iowa state after practicing the rest of this week. That's huge. Maybe you get favors back as well. So I, I actually uh, agree with you. Hook them. Uh, all right. You talk by low. Let's talk a little sell high. I'm going to stay in big 12 and I am going to go, I'm going to sell Texas tech who I just wanted to check the final score. Mm -hmm. They just beat Oklahoma state 78 57. Uh, Before that, this, just this week on Saturday, they beat Kansas. They upset Kansas on Tuesday. They upset Baylor on the road, number one Baylor. And then two days later, they beat Oklahoma state at home. I thought, Maybe there's a little bit of a letdown today. Didn't play it because it was just a horrendous matchup for Oklahoma State. They just, you know, Texas Tech does not let you get anything in the middle. They're no middle D. Oklahoma State can't shoot the ball. I'm not surprised that it didn't go well for Oklahoma State tonight. But, you know, now you go after these you know, three pretty big wins. You go to Kansas State. And by the way, next week on Tuesday, you got a little rematch with an mm-hmm. Iowa State team that beat you 51 to 47. And then West Virginia and Kansas. So this is a sleepy spot for Texas Tech after a hell of a week. Um, and Kansas State has been close. They've been close. And, you know, they've lost four straight desperation effort here. But, I mean, this is a team that lost by by one to Marquette. Um, you know, they lost by two on the road to Oklahoma. They lost by three on the road to West Virginia. They just lost by three at home to TCU. Uh, on Texas, they had a lot of guys out for COVID, and that game was actually fairly close until the end. So this is a team that's still battling. The Wildcats haven't been turning it over. They can hit some threes here, which you need to do against Texas Tech. I think that they should have close to their full roster available. And something to keep in mind is if Texas Tech is close at the end, you know, if they're up five to, you know, five to seven, at the end of the game, and this line is, you know, six or seven, Texas Tech is horrendous at the line. So uh, that could end up seesawing this game into Kansas State sneaking inside the number. But I just think this is a spectacular spot for Kansas State. All four straight losses, they're still scrapping, and uh, could, be a, could be a little flat one for Texas Tech and the Red Raiders. By the way, it's a noon tip in Manhattan, like sleepy city. So give me Kansas State. Uh, how about you? Sell high? Yeah, I'm going to go to the SEC, and I'm surprised you didn't pick this team, but LSU. Uh, they're the number one defense in college basketball by adjusted efficiency. One of the best defenses in points possession in both transition and the half court, but they weren't tested at all in their whole non-conference schedule. The best team they played was Belmont, who's 43rd in the Ken Palm rankings. And so now they get into the SEC schedule. They lose and get beat pretty bad by Auburn to open it up. I understand they beat both Tennessee and Kentucky at home. They obviously went to Gainesville and beat Florida on Wednesday. 
but this offense is not good enough to be essentially one of the favorites to win the SEC. And in all three of those games, I know you tweeted it out uh, this morning, but you know Florida had a 77% post-game win expectancy uh, against LSU on, on Wednesday, but lost, I believe, by seven. And then, you know, even the two games before that, the Tennessee game, it was about 50-50 post-game win expectancy. And uh, against Kentucky, like you mentioned earlier, Kentucky really should have won. I think they were around 78%. So this is a team that... And, and Kentucky had all kinds of injuries. Right. They lost Wheeler. They lost... Then they lost Washington. Sheba was in foul trouble. Yeah. Uh, yeah. LSU has been incredibly fortunate. Right. I mean, they... In their four SEC games, they've only averaged over one point per possession one time, and they've turned the ball over at least 15 times in all four of those games. I mean, you even saw it kind of in the markets and, and on Wednesday. And obviously, I understand, you know, Pinson was out, but Florida opened at plus two and a half, and they closed at minus three and a half. I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I don't think Pinson's worth, you know, six points to the spread. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that just tells you that the market is saying, okay, this LSU team, they're not as good as they're, you know, being seventh in the Ken Palm rankings. They're going to play Collins, Arkansas Razorbacks on Saturday at home. Ken Palm uh, has them as a 12 point favorite. Woo pig suey. Muscleman uh, is not going to be on the sidelines. I'll, I'll be honest off the top of my head. I don't know who their assistant coach is, but I'm sure if you contact Colin, he can tell you everything about him, including what he had for lunch today. I think this I can't is... believe he's not going to be up in the box like Hugh Freeze right, in the right. bed. Right. And I mean, you know, and I'm not going to, you know, Arkansas obviously hasn't been playing that well this season, but defensively, you know, the only really advantage that LSU has offensively is they're an incredible offensive rebounding team. They're, you know, around 34% offensive rebounding percentage. Well, Arkansas is top 10 in defensive rebounding and LSU, like we already mentioned, they cannot shoot the ball. They're, they're getting very lucky in a lot of their shots. They're you know, not, not taking, you know, high quality shots. This is a good spot, you know, to get Arkansas. If you can get them, you know, double digits plus 13 plus 14, I'm sure, you know, Musselman being out, will will add a point, maybe point and a half to uh, Arkansas. So uh, I think it's a great spot for the Razorbacks. Eventually this LSU team is going to come back down to earth. So uh, if they're, if not now, uh, I believe they go to Alabama next week uh, in Tuscaloosa. So that'll be another good spot, but who knows the market might uh, continue like they did to Florida. And we, uh, you know, Alabama might be a minus three and a half minus four favorite, but uh, yeah, give me uh, Collins Razorbacks uh, on the road as double digit underdogs. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I had this circled as uh, one of my looks and favorite bets that I was going to talk about later. So I'll, uh, I'll jump it now and add, yeah, I mean, from a shot quality perspective, LSU has been the second luckiest team in the country this year. They're 14 from just its shot quality perspective. Four, they're 14 and one on the year. From a shot quality perspective, they're projected to be 10 and five. They're holding teams <laughs> to 26.3% from three and 62% from the line. Those are both top five. <laughs> and the problem is you don't play defense uh, against free. Th- I mean, against uh, Tennessee, Tennessee went 23 or 37. Florida went like 11 of 23. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these threes, it's even more important for them because they give up a ton of threes. Uh, I, I think that they're bottom, maybe bottom 10 in the amount of threes that they give up because it's a very aggressive defense and uh, it's a great defense. I don't think it's as good as the metric suggests. So I think that there's some regression coming in shooting and then the defense as well, but they're long and they, they swarm. Um, but you get open threes against them and no one can make open threes and no one can make free throws <laughs> against them. That is not going to last forever. Uh, you know, and they got lucky with some guys being out for Kentucky and you know, the rest of their resume, if you look, kind of start to dig deeper you're like meh so I, I do think LSU right now this is a perfect time to sell high on them 
And Arkansas, look, you know, Arkansas, they have some positive shooting regression coming. So it's like a, the, the best of both worlds here. It's like our LSU's due to give up some threes and Arkansas is due to make some, you know, they have guys like uh, Note and Likes that just are shooting well below their career averages. I, I think Arkansas sub 30% on the year. But what I really like is Arkansas went with a brand new lineup. They changed their entire rotation and went with a brand new starting lineup last game because they really, I mean, it was bad. Arkansas was trending in the wrong direction SEC play. They switched it up, started a lineup that had never played together this year. And then they, and now granted it was Missouri, but they looked spectacular. The energy was there. And I think that's the, the spark that this team needed, kind of the wake up call. Um, so you're kind of still buying Arkansas low. It's not like everyone's going to be like, oh, they beat Missouri, they're back. So I think, yeah, I mean, Ken Pop projects is a 12. I would love to get 12 or better here. I think that they'll have a shot at pulling off this upset. LSU's kind of fat and happy. Hogs going to also have a little SEC tournament revenge. They also don't have glaring turnover issues, which is important against LSU, which generates a lot, uh, uh, forces a lot of turnovers, which can turn into offense. And I would assume – most likely, Pinson is probably out again. So that doesn't help LSU's case as well. So I completely agree with you on this one. All right, let's move on to our next segment here, lay it. And let's talk a, a favorite that you think might be worth a look that just absolutely rolls, whether it's tomorrow, Saturday, or Sunday, wherever you want to go. Yeah, I'll go Loyola Chicago uh, at Indiana State. Ken Palm has it at minus nine. And this is – so Indiana State – they went and played Northern Iowa on Tuesday, and they only had seven available players. One of their best scorers was out due to COVID protocols. You know, like we said at the beginning, who knows if those guys are going to be back by Saturday, but this is a loyal Chicago team that got a little bit of a scare from Valpo on Wednesday. You know, they needed to hit a three to go to overtime, but Loyal is top 15 in both three-point and two-point field goal percentage. I mean, they're shooting a blistering 39% from behind the arc, while Indiana State is 315th in three-point field goal percentage allowed. If Indiana State gets those guys back, you know, Cooper Neese in the lineup, they'll obviously be a little bit better, but this is a horrific matchup for them. They're really bad on defense. They just played an overtime game against Indiana State. So I love Loyola Chicago and how efficient, you know, their off their offense is obviously incredibly efficient. They're probably one of the best mid-major teams in college basketball this season. But this is just a really, really tough spot for Indiana State. So give me the Ramblers uh, as minus nine, we'll say right now. One team worth looking to fade almost uh, automatically, I never like to say that, but is uh, UTSA. The Roadrunners are in free fall mode. It just came out that Deng is leaving the team, their leading scorer, to go play professionally. They've already lost Ivy Curry. They're... Uh, so, I mean, they're down their top rebounder, their top score. They have nothing left on this team. I And there's just – there's reports out that there's infighting, and it's not good what's going on at UTSA right now with Steve Henson. And, I, I mean, look, today they played Old Dominion. Let me see what the final score was. They were getting cru- – they lost 83 to 51. They Ooh. got crushed by La Tech at home the game before. They played Southern Miss at home. Three games before Southern Miss is out team outside the top 300. They lost at home to Southern Miss. The la- they, the only win that they have since December 11th is uh, over Dallas Christian at home. This is the team that's in free fall mode. They're going on the road to Charlotte. Um, I don't know. Maybe the market knows now that where this team is at, and they just have lost everything that was decent about them. Um, I would love to get like Charlotte minus 10 or 11. On an open. Um, I also think 
Baylor might be worth a look. Mm-hmm. Now, yep. it doesn't help today that Oklahoma State, you know, got blown out. But Baylor off a loss at home, they've got to sit on that loss all week. Well, meanwhile, Oklahoma State had to play. Uh, they've played two games this week. They played tonight. And it's just a horrible matchup for Oklahoma State, just like mm-hmm. against Texas Tech. They're not going to get anything at the rim, and Oklahoma State can't shoot. Um, so that might be worth a look as well. But as of right now, uh, UTSA is, is uh, on fade alert. Yeah, that and Old Dominion, uh, I believe, was out without one of their uh, yeah. one of their best scores as well. So yep. that's that's yep. even more concerning. Yeah, pretty telling there. All right, um, let's go through the rest of the card. Big Saturday slate. We got to talk home dog. So what's what's a home dog that you have on your radar? Uh, I'm going to go Eastern Kentucky at uh, home against Jacksonville State. So this is going to be a three point shooting contest. I believe these teams uh, are about top ten in uh, th- you know percentage of, of field goal attempts coming from behind the arc. So Jacksonville State, obviously, just they live and die by the three point shot. They take around 43 percent of their field goals from behind the arc. They're hitting them at an incredibly high rate. You know, 39 and a half percent. That's top ten in the country. But Eastern Kentucky, they're 22nd in the country in three-point field goal defense, and they can't really do anything else except turn opponents over. They're 26th in the country in turnover defense. Well, Jacksonville State offensively is 315th in turnover and turning the ball over. So it's a pretty good matchup for Eastern Kentucky. And on the flip side, you know, like I said, they do take three three-pointers at a really, really high rate. They've just lost three straight games. Jacksonville State, they've won three straight against teams ranked outside the top 250. So what better time to grab Eastern Kentucky? You know, Ken Palm has Jacksonville State about minus two, minus three. So, you know, Eastern Kentucky, you want to throw in a round robin, maybe take them. Hopefully I can get a, you know, a plus three, three and a half, four, somewhere around there. The Colonels. Yeah, give me the Colonels uh, as my home underdog. Yeah, I, I, I like this one. Uh, I didn't have this on my radar, but uh, I'm now going to add it to my radar now that you bring it up. And yeah, I like Eastern Kentucky just in general as a dog this year not as a favorite because they just play a high variance style like they they want to play up tempo they try to create force turnovers pressure defense they're up in your face now if you can break the pressure and you can get to the rim they're very vulnerable but yeah that's i think this is a good matchup and a good spot for eastern kentucky so i like it um i'll go let's throw out uh, yeah, I mean, this one's super ugly, but let's throw out Missouri uh, against mm-hmm. Texas A&M. I was on Missouri last Saturday. I was scared. Everyone was like, are you making me bet Missouri plus 14 and a half against Alabama? They won outright. Then they went to Arkansas late in an egg in an awful spot. Arkansas changed their lineup, like had to win the game. Missouri's coming off the Alabama win. Now they come home for Texas A&M I, after getting embarrassed. They're at home. They've, they've played better at home at least. So I expect you get a pretty good effort here. And Texas A&M, I think, has been outperforming their metrics. They've won seven or eight in a row. I mean, they're up near the top of the SEC standings, which is pretty shocking. So after dominating Mississippi, after you know, pretty dominating Arkansas, they go to Missouri, and you know, before they host Kentucky. So this is a flat spot city. I don't think that Texas A&M can keep this shooting prowess up so there's some regression coming in that department they also uh like texas tech like i said wanted to fade on the road in a bad spot texas a&m another texas team favorite can't shoot free throws texas a&m mm. is I, arguably the worst team in the country from the line so again if it's like in, in that area 
you know, if they're mm-hmm. catching, this is going to be like six or seven. That's when like the free throws can swing it. So let's go back to the well for a second straight Saturday on Missouri. Hold your nose special. By the way, staying in the SEC, any thoughts on Tennessee at Kentucky? Status of Wheeler. Like Kentucky could, could make do without him on the offensive end with Washington running the show. Cal Party still tickering with the lineups. He had Mintz, I think, start for more offense over top of the other day. But they really miss Wheeler just getting out in transition. Kentucky gets out in transition 25% of the time, which is second in the nation. Mm-hmm. He speeds it up, but he's he's awesome on the defensive end. I Look, it's going to be hard for Tennessee to live on the glass here with Shebway. And yep. at Rupp against Kentucky, the Tennessee droughts, they're just – I think that's what's going to cost them all year. They're, this team just – their defense is elite. So is Kentucky's. But Tennessee just goes into – longer scoring droughts, which I think we've seen it time and time again against elite teams this year. I think that is going to end up holding this team back throughout the end of the year. You're probably going to get like Kentucky minus four and a half here. Or so mm-hmm. um, any thoughts on that game? Yeah. So I, I, that actually is one of the games I was kind of targeting because I, you know, this is, I think this is somewhat of a buy low type of situation on Tennessee, just because, you know, Kentucky is, uh, you know, at, at it's kind of that is kind of heights right now. They had a great win against Vanderbilt. You know, it, there's a chance that this line could tick up to maybe minus five and a half, minus six. I might have to play the Volunteers. There's they're second in the country in just a defensive efficiency. They're really really good at defending inside. They haven't you know their last essentially their last four SEC games. The one they lost to LSU, they held them under fifty percent from inside the arc. The only time they really got torched inside was against Alabama. They allowed you know around 60% from inside the arc, but Fulkerson and Kennedy Chandler were out. So obviously that affects that Kentucky incredible, uh, probably the best rebounding team in the country. You know, I don't know if anybody else is top 10 in both offensive and defensive rebounding percentage, but Kentucky is. So it's going to be very hard. Like you said, for Tennessee to try to keep them off the glass, you know, Tennessee, they are due for a little bit of positive shooting regression. You know, that could come here against Kentucky. They they shoot a ton of threes, but they don't shoot it at a very high percentage, only around 32%. If it's minus four, I'm, I'm probably just going to stay away from this and move on. But if that line ticks up to minus five and a half, minus six, you know, I might have to play the volunteers, you know, at that number. I, I, who knows if we actually get that, but, you know, with Tennessee losing back-to-back road games against Alabama and LSU, you know, there's a chance that the market could push it towards Kentucky at home. Yeah. I think that if you get the, if you get the sixth look here is Kentucky, if this does, a, I mean, at Tennessee, if this does open four and a half, five for me, it's probably stay away. I, I do need, I just need a cushion to take Tennessee mm-hmm. on the road yep. against these superior teams because they just, there's going to be a drought. Um, the defense will you generally keep them in it, but there's definitely going to be, an offensive drought, which is uh, – it's just got to frustrate Vols fans out there. Um, all right, let's uh, – before we get to Friday Night Lights, let's uh, let's talk at the final looks of Saturday that we didn't talk about that you want to mention. Um, I'll kick things off with San Francisco. Hopefully we get them uh, – I would, I would just love to get them minus one or better. Look, this is an awful spot for – Mm-hmm. BYU, who before we're recording this, or after we record this, they're going to play Gonzaga on the road. And then two days later, they got to come back down to San Francisco <laughs> and play the Dons, a really good Dons team. That two games in three days, I mean, both on the road against these two teams is brutal. 
Mark Pope, hell of a coach for BYU. Going to spend this entire week preparing for Gonzaga. Then you got to travel, and San Francisco will be ready for this game. They got swept last year by BYU, and the reason is is that they got dominated on the glass. And while BYU now is down, now down two of their bigs for the season, and they, you know they still have some talent, but it's really raw. And San Francisco in the offseason went and beefed up their front court, so I think that that's huge here. Their offense, they're, they're going to have an advantage on the perimeter with their guards athletically. I think that they'll have some success in the pick and roll. And, and one thing that they struggle with is transition defense, but that's not BYU's game. BYU is outside the top 300 in transition rate. So, I mean, just in terms of distance, geography, these teams that, that, that a day after playing Gonzaga, San Fran won in this game, they now match up really well. I think BYU is overvalued in the market. You know, as I mentioned, they lost Harvard. They lost Baxter for the season. This is, uh, you know, Meeks is back for San Francisco. I love Golden, the coach for the Dons. This is all Dons for me. Uh, this is the late night Saturday game. I will be on San Fran, pending the number, which should be, you, know, you hope that BYU, I mean, if BYU beats, <laughs> I guess I'm going to go watch, root for BYU to beat Gonzaga. Then this yeah. is hammer time. Um, right. So I, I, I love, I love the Dons. So. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree with you in that spot. And that was, that was the spot I was kind of looking at. So, you know, I was looking at hoop math and BYU allows 64% field goal percentage at the rim. That's very, very concerning against the San Francisco team that yes, they shoot a ton of threes, but you know, they're fifth in the country in two point field goal percentage. So really, really bad matchup, especially after playing Gonzaga. I think there's another good spot in the SEC. I like Florida on the road at South Carolina. Ken Palm has them at minus three right now. It's a really good matchup for the Gators, like we already talked about. They really should have beaten LSU on Wednesday based on the shots that they had. They just couldn't get anything to fall. There's a couple really, really good matchups for Florida. They're top 35 in both offensive rebounding percentage and uh, getting to the free throw line, so free throw rate. And South Carolina defensively is outside the top 300 in both those categories. South Carolina turns the ball over at a ridiculously high 23% rate, which is 341st in the country. Well, Florida's 19th in the country in turnover percentage. So a really, really bad matchup. You know, last time South Carolina was out, they played Tennessee. They turned the ball over 23 times. So Gators at, you know, minus three, minus three and a half on the road, due for some positive shooting regression after, uh, you know, a game they should have won against LSU. I think it's a great spot for the Gators uh, to pick off the Gamecocks on the road. Uh, don't mind that. I'll stay in the SEC. I'm, I'm actually going to go. I'm going to look at Mississippi State as a home dog. I think you might get some value here with everyone. You know, Alabama's lost two in a row. They might be a little inflated here. I think the spot to play Alabama is next week against LSU. But Alabama's mm-hmm. lost to Missouri on the road. Then they lost to Auburn. Hard for an Auburn game. And now you have you go on the road to Starkville before, you know, you have LSU. So maybe a little bit of a sandwich spot. But I, I, look, at Mississippi State – is going to be ready for this game. Last year, they went 0-3 against Alabama, including an 85-48 to loss in the SEC tournament. They got absolutely embarrassed. They were 6-45 of from three in those three games. Mississippi State defense does allow a ton of threes, and Alabama, I think, might have some positive shooting regression coming. But they also do a really good job of limiting penetration. Howland's defense, always, Howland's defense is always doing. That's huge against Alabama because that's what they want to do. They want to drive it. They want to kick out for threes and take a ton of threes. That's where they want to live. And both teams are actually shooting poor in conference play. So I think you could see 
some positive shooting regression for each. But where I think Mississippi State could live in this game is on the glass and inside. Uh, and I think Tulu Smith, their starting center, all signs put to him being back for this game. Uh, he's missed a couple with an injury. They went out and got a lot of size. This team can offensive rebound with anyone in the country. And that's Alabama's weak point. And if Betty Ako gets in foul trouble, it's a layup drill all day mm -hmm. for Mississippi State here. Mississippi State's due for some positive shooting regression. If they don't get it, they're going to get every offensive rebound in this game. So I think this is actually a sneaky spot for Mississippi State in front of the Cowbells. Uh, I'm still in college football mode. I'll be looking at Mississippi State. Maybe we get a little – a little value here. All right. Uh, before we get out of here, we have, we're, we're not going to do an official Friday night lights. The three men we've guys couldn't join us this week from a recording. They did send us their picks. And then starting next week, we'll have the recording. There's only 11 games. And I can tell you that let's see tomorrow. You have Michigan, Illinois, which they say Michigan's getting on the plane, but that's a perfect game. It's like, <laughs> who's, is this, is it going to yeah. canceled? Who's playing for Michigan? You have another game in Monmouth and St. Peter's mom at the covering machine this year. Uh, St. Peter's. If you want to watch an elite defense of a team that can't score, you want to watch that, but they've been off. They've been off since like December 15th. Both of them they haven't played mm -hmm. in a month. I don't know who's going to be back. They both coaches were like, I don't, I don't know how you expect us to play this game. We just got out of isolation. I'll tell you that the three-man weave guys, we have to give you their picks. Jim likes VCU all the way to minus one tomorrow, seeing plus two and a half at St. Bonaventure. St. Bonaventure has been one of the most disappointing teams in the country this year. I actually mm -hmm. like the spot for St. Bonaventure. Yeah. But can they have no depth, and they just – you want to talk about – they're like a – the Tennessee of the mid-major Tennessee. Yeah. They go through these yep. droughts. I don't know if I necessarily love that one. Kai loves Richmond at Pickham minus one against Davidson. Love this one. This would be my, my pick. This is a, a Richmond team that's been pretty disappointing as well, but this is a really good matchup for them. Davidson's not going to bully them inside. Um, you know, both teams should be able to run their offense here. And I think Richmond at home, should be able to get this done. It's seen it's underperformed. The talent is still there. Two well-coached teams with a lot of offensive talent. I think Davidson has overperformed a little bit, and while Richmond is underperformed, and this is a good matchup for Richmond, who, you know, if you could bully them like really defensive-minded teams with great interiors, that's going to be a problem for Richmond, who's kind of soft. But that's not Davidson. So I think this is a good matchup and a good spot to back Davidson at home and a, basically a toss-up against the Killips bunch. And then Matt likes Sienna at plus six. He'd take down to plus five. Uh, I love this Maris team, and it looks like their point guard is going to be back. This game should be a grinder, so taking six with Sienna, I don't mind. Cole, I'm cold on Jim. My pick is Richmond, so extremely hot on Kai's pick. And then I'm lukewarm uh, on Matt. So the pick that I'll throw out there, is uh, we'll double it up on, on Richmond. Where were you going to go for Friday? Akron, plus one on the road at Kent State. I think this is a pretty good matchup. One thing they do extremely well is they get to the free throw line. They have the third highest free throw rate in college basketball, while Kent State is 301st in free throw rate allowed. And the biggest thing is that the Colton Flashes are 319th in bench minutes. So if they get into foul trouble, this one could get out of hand pretty quickly. 
Akron is best in spot up shooting and pick and roll. They're top 15% in college basketball in terms of points per possession. Kent State offensively has really, really been struggling. They basically rely on a ton of their points coming from the free throw line, which is not sustainable. They just lost on Tuesday to Northern Illinois as a 15 and a half point favorite. Uh, they only shot 20% from behind the arc, which is not really that shocking. Uh, one of their starters, Giovanni Santiago, has been out the last two games. Who knows if he's going to be back. But if he's out, that's another big blow to them for a Kent State team that is not very deep. They only have about an eight-man rotation. So I like the Zips plus one on the road. Yeah, there's something wrong with Kent State, a team that I had some hope for coming into the year. But they, not only did they lose to Northern Illinois at home the last game, they lost to Central Michigan is even yep. worse at home a couple weeks ago. And then the game before that, they lost at home to Southern. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something wrong. And, yeah, Santiago has been out. That's been killing them because sincere carry – the transfer from Duquesne has go look at uh, his minutes. He plays every minute for the <laughs> last seven games. He's played 40 minutes. So yeah, I don't mind that at all. So just five picks this week in the future, you and I will pick a, a bonus one when we have some more games, so, but just wanted to kind of wet everyone's appetite for the return of the Friday six pack next. Say so if you week. want, I I have a bonus one. If you want it, just sure. Go ahead, throw it out. There. Uh, how about people, I own a first people... half against I own a first half against Manhattan. Manhattan's coming off a really long COVID break. They haven't played since December twenty first. Now they got to go up against Rick Pitino's press. <laughs> it's it's a not a great matchup because Manhattan's three hundred twelfth in turnover percentage. It's a really really bad spot for Manhattan coming off a COVID break. High turnover percentage going against the press. Gonna try to not get backdoored in the second half. So I'm sure the first half line will probably be like, I want a minus seven and a half minus eight. So Rick Pitino first half minus eight. Yeah. And Manhattan's actually playing faster this year. Well, usually yeah. they're pretty slow and now they're, I think they're top 150, I think in adjusted tempo. Iona is going to play fast speed you up, but that's just like creates more possessions for the better team. So uh, I don't mind that at all. And who knows who's uh, who's in for Manhattan. Uh, so that'll do it for us. We appreciate you all tuning in for the first episode uh, of the college basketball season on Friday night at Big Bets on Campus with BJ and myself. BJ, you were great. Uh, you will get some shit from people for losers and won't get any credit for wins, but I'm confident you'll have more wins and losses by the end of the year. And, and the silent majority out there will appreciate you and hopefully me the rest of the year so uh let's have a weekend and good luck on all of your wagers make sure that you subscribe unsubscribe leave a review tell a friend tell an enemy we'll do some i'll do some giveaways every week and we'll be back on monday we have mike calabrese too so yeah so we'll talk a little what happened on uh the weekend and then preview big monday and with uh bj myself and then mike calabrese who's been on the podcast before talk college football and college basketball he'll be joining us for that episode three-man weave Guys will still be on the Wednesday episode. Really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to talking more college basketball, finding winners throughout the rest of the year through March. Thanks for listening as always, and we'll catch y'all later. Cheers.